Life is hard. This past Tuesday, I got a call uh, that a former parishioner of mine uh, from a previous assignment, a young man in his late uh, teens, maybe early 20s, was killed in a car accident. He was picking something up for his girlfriend from her parents' house. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. Sometimes the darkness seems overwhelming. Sometimes there seems to be no way out of the darkness. When I was in eighth grade, I and my best friend had a misunderstanding. A good thing that drama never happens in middle school anymore. It only lasted a semester, but during that time I thought about what would happen if I committed suicide. I never considered it, I never told my parents, but every once in a while it would cross my mind. After that semester, my friend and I made up and life went on. Although, to make a long story short, let's just say I enjoy college a lot more than high school. God doesn't force us to do anything. He honors our free will. Free will is necessary for authentic love. Authentic love requires the option to not only say yes, but to also say no. This is why it is so nerve-wracking for a man to ask a woman out or even later to ask her to marry him. She could say yes, but she could also say no. Men, have the decency and courage to ask her out in person. Don't do this over text or some other form of messaging. God created us to be loved and to love back. God is love as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus we are made in the image and likeness of God. We are made for love. Thus, we have free will. And with free will comes not only the option to say yes to God and goodness, but also the option to say no to God and goodness. Thus, we have the evil in the world. As Catholics, we believe that the fall of Adam and Eve not only broke the relationship with each other and with God, but also broke the harmony of the universe. Because of the fall, because of the disharmony of the universe, because of our own sins and failures, because of others' sins and failures, life is full of darkness. God usually doesn't stop the darkness, but he provides a light to shine in the darkness. In the first reading from the prophet Isaiah, God says, remember not the events of the past. He says he is doing something new. He is making rivers in the wasteland, water in the desert. God isn't getting rid of the desert or the wasteland, but he is placing water in them. He is shining light in the darkness. He is giving hope in the midst of tragedy. The refrain for the response of Psalm says, The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. In the verses it talks about being captive, but God leads them back to Zion. God restores their fortunes, that they who sowed in tears shall reap rejoicing. St. Paul, in the second reading, reiterates that life is new, life is different in God. St. Paul says he considers everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. St. Paul says for the sake of Christ, he has accepted the loss of all things and considers them rubbish, that he may gain Christ 
be found in Christ. As we know from other parts of Scripture, once Paul, St. Paul had his radical conversion to Christ, he still had hardships. Actually, he had more hardships after his conversion than he did before. In some ways, the hardships, the darkness, the evil events that took place after his conversion actually strengthened St. Paul's faith. St. Paul, towards the end of today's reading from his letter to the Philippians, says that he is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. In the gospel, Jesus calls the woman out of darkness into the light. He calls her from her past to a new life in himself. The woman in the gospel is caught in adultery and brought to Jesus by the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people. Then they asked Jesus what should be done with the woman. They asked, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? First, this isn't exactly what the law of Moses said. The law of Moses said that the man and the, both the man and the woman should be stoned, and also that uh, two witnesses should be brought forth to collaborate what had happened. So where are the witnesses? Where is the man that also committed adultery? They are not here. Second, as St. John notes, there, this is another trap for Jesus. On the one hand, if Jesus says, don't stone her, then he has directly contradicted the law of Moses, and they would have reason to arrest Jesus. The crowd, too, might turn on Jesus, seeing him as a false teacher, since he didn't agree with the law of Moses. On the other hand, if Jesus says to stone her, then he would contradict the reputation that he had gained as being merciful to sinners. And thus again, the crowd might stop following him. Per usual, when they try to trap Jesus, Jesus doesn't answer yes or no. In fact, he doesn't say anything at all. He finds a third way. This time, Jesus bends down and starts writing in the dirt. Now, much ink has been spilled in the last 2,000 years about what Jesus wrote in the sand. One idea is that he started writing the sins of the scribes and Pharisees. Another is that Jesus supernaturally wrote all of their names, ordered from oldest to youngest. When they press Jesus for an answer, he says, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. After this, Jesus re resumes writing in the dirt. They begin to leave one by one until only the woman is left standing before Jesus. Jesus stands up and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replies, No one, sir. Then Jesus evangelizes her, frees her in just two sentences. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. In the first reading, God didn't change the desert into a plush green field. 
In the second week, God did not take away St. Paul's hardships. In fact, they increased once he became a follower of Christ. In the Gospel, did Jesus get rid of lust and men? No, I think we can say that lust is alive and healthy uh, in our culture today. In the first week, God provided water in the desert. In the second week, God gave St. Paul the fortitude and courage and insight to understand that it is worth losing everything for Christ. In the Gospel, Jesus gave the woman a way out of the dark life she had been living. God didn't remove the darkness, but he brought light in the midst of darkness. God is doing something new. There is no reason to live in the past. St. Paul has moved on from his past of persecuting Christians. The woman is invited by Christ to move on from a life of adultery. God wants to give us the power to move forward. God wants to give us the mercy and forgiveness we need to do something new, to leave the past behind. If you have been in a dark place for an extended period of time, I strongly encourage you to not only seek out spiritual counseling, but also professional counseling. There is no shame in needing help. The Lord has given some people natural gifts of healing and some people supernatural gifts of healing. On the spiritual side of things, if you are struggling with leaving the past behind, there are healing ministries like theophastic prayer and unbound prayer. Both of these prayer types allow Christ to come into the memories of past hurts and to heal them. Jesus says the same thing he said to the woman 2,000 years ago. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. As I have quoted many times in the past, St. Pope John Paul II said, We are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. After her encounter with Jesus, the woman knew this in the depths of her soul. She knew she could leave the past behind and strive towards something new, strive towards the prize of God's upward calling, striving towards holiness, towards becoming a saint. May we too come to realize this in the depths of our souls, May we realize that our identity is that of the Father's love for us. May we realize that our most foundational identity is that of a beloved son or daughter of God the Father.